Well, good morning, everybody. When the question comes up, what's Eagle Church all about? We often say these three things, discipleship, missions, next generation. Discipleship, living everyday life with Jesus, missions, helping others discover that and do that, and next generation, start all that as early as you can start it. That's what we're about around here. And so one of the headlines that's been scrolling across the news feed, especially over the last 24 months, has been the massive movement of peoples around the globe. It's called the refugee crises in some places, the immigration issue going on all about the globe. The latest statistics are approximately 20 million peoples have been uprooted for various reasons and are been displaced to other cultures, countries, climates, and conditions, 20 million. And so that reality of the movement of peoples globally has led to this conversation with Paul and Kate Keller. Can you welcome Paul and Kate to the stage this morning? Hey, guys. Great to have the Kellers here. So Paul and Kate have been married for 11 years. I have the privilege of being a part of their premarital process and the wedding. Who would have known we'd be ending here someday? The Lord knew. And they have two beautiful boys, Ben and Joe, seven and five. And Paul's been around Eagle for 18 years, served as an elder in, in several other capacities, small group leader. They've served as a couple together, children's ministry, missions team. They've been all kinds of things in all kinds of places, and Kate's been a part of Eagle since she married into Eagle, I think right. is how yep. that works, yep. right? Yep. Um, so when I think of the Kellers, I think of three key qualities when I think of these two and all they represent. I think prayerful, faithful, and others-oriented. Those of you who know the Kellers well, would you agree with me on that? Prayerful, faithful, and others-oriented. So we're so grateful to be having this conversation to talk about the change that's been a theme in your lives, especially since 2016. So why don't you give us a little context to what we're talking about today? Sure, sure. Well, uh, as Eric said, we've been married 11 years. Well, last year was our 10-year anniversary, and we decided to do something a little bit different to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. We decided to go on a short-term missions trip. And as Eric said, you know, the whole refugee crisis is big in Europe in the last year or so. And so... There was an opportunity that for us that came up to go to Sicily, Italy, to minister to the refugees and immigrants that are pouring in to that part of the world. What's been happening in, in, in North Africa has been really fascinating to watch. There are hopeless situations happening all across North Africa, civil wars, terrorism, economic calamities, and just you name it, just a lot of bad stuff. Mm. And so people from uh, the countries of like Eritrea and Ethiopia and Somalia and on the west side like uh, Senegal and, and Mali and Nigeria, they're, they're, people are wanting to get out. And so what folks are doing is they are making their way to Libya, oftentimes through uh, human trafficking networks, and they're getting onto boats and they're being put out in international waters with the hope of being put, picked up by like the Italian Coast Guard mm. or other European vessels and brought to Europe. So there's this tremendous push to get away from a lot of bad stuff wow. and the pull of a better life in Europe. Mm. And so it was within that, we had the opportunity to minister to these North African refugees. Now, thankfully, many of them speak English, mm. and so that, that was a big plus for us. And so we were doing evangelism and outreach uh, with these refugees because what's happening is these refugees are basically stuck 
in, in Italy right now until they get any sort of asylum or work permit, and they're literally not doing anything. And wow. so the opportunities to doing outreach is, is really open. And so, so give us some numbers here. So how many peoples are we talking yeah, about have yeah. migrated, especially into that area called yeah, Sicily? Yeah, sure. So for the past three or four years, about over 100,000 a year have been making their way uh, into the Mediterranean, picked up and brought to Sicily and southern Italy. Wow. And they're basically and they're put in uh, unused housing, uh, different uh, places where they can stay. And again, they're, they're, they get a couple euro a day. They get a, uh, some meals. They're taught wow. uh, Italian. But again, until, they, until their number comes up and they can meet with government officials, there's not much going on. Help us understand right the spiritual condition mm -hmm. of North Africa. So yeah. the name of Jesus, presence of Jesus in North Africa. Mm -hmm. Give us a, a picture of that. Yeah, most of these migrants are Muslims. They're coming from a Muslim background. Now, they're, um, I would say their Islam is very an inch deep. It's, mm -hmm. They're not very devout. And so they are very open to talking about spiritual things. Most Muslims in general are, for that matter. And because they're transient and they've been through a lot, they are very open to mm. dialogue about Jesus, to talk about the Bible, to look at stories in the Word. And so, yes, many of them come from a Muslim background, but they're not very devout, and they're very open to talk about Christ. But North Africa in general would be one of the most unreached that's right. yeah. windows on the planet, that's, that's right? That's exactly right. So many of these, these men and women that are coming from countries well, they don't have access to the gospel, or they may not be able to ever read a page of the New Testament in their own language. So they're coming from nations where they won't have a chance to hear the gospel to Europe, where there's freedom of religion. And so there's freedom to be able to share Christ with them. So, Kate, you're on your 10-year anniversary, right? Probably not the 10-year anniversary you guys originally were thinking back in the early days. How inspiring is that, though, to think, you know what? I always tell couples, get the zeros and fives right. And so they got the zeros right with this one. So we're going to go to Sicily, Italy. You're there. You're immersed in this refugee immigration crisis, right? And some things began to get stirred up. Talk, talk about conversations and prayers you and Paul begin to have together about maybe God wants us to do something about this. Yeah, we had been um, probably feeling a little bit of an itch and a pull for something different than the ministry that we were serving with. And uh, when Paul... Well, Paul actually had been talking about refugees for, I don't know, two or three years. He would want to give finances to the crisis, and I was a little bit clueless, honestly. Um, but Paul kind of kept me updated. So when we talked about where to go, um, there was many places we could go, but when uh, the Italy trip came up as an opportunity, um, well, I've always wanted to go to Italy, so... <laughs> It wasn't too hard. Yeah. So, um, but of course, getting there and seeing uh, the refugees, and some kids were like 12, 13 years old. It was pretty hard. Mm. I had to turn away. I was about to start crying with some of these uh, young men that were just there, you know, wow. without parents. And wow. um, so it really is pretty motivating to be a part of it. So talk to us about the decision you made. Eventually, this led to a decision point, right? Big change coming. And talk to us about the specifics of kind of what the next 12 months is going to look like in your lives. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, right when we came back, uh, we were asked to maybe, we were asked to prayerfully consider going back to, to Italy and serving. And so we took last July, last August, and just took some time praying, you know, seeking God's will 
about, Lord, what would you have us do with this? And we just sensed a real release from the life we were living and what we were doing and, and God opening doors for us to do this. And so we were, were like, well, we just, God, we just want to be obedient mm. to what you're calling us to do. We, we know it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. But, but we know you're there. And, and you know you're going to be with us every step of the way. And, and we know that you want to see these men and women uh, who, who are from Muslim backgrounds, from places where they don't have access to the gospel, to have a chance to hear. Uh, and so we, we just sense God opening doors for us to do this. And so last fall, uh, we uh, connected with uh, One Mission Society, or OMS, down in Greenwood, and went through the application process and were uh, accepted. And so since January of this year, we've been on this path of uh, uh, selling our house, um, going through pre-field training. We've had to raise a bit more finances and financial support, and uh, we had to get our visas last month. And so God has been very... Mm. Uh, wow, very faithful in every step of the way. And so now uh, we're, we're on target to be leaving in two weeks' time to fly over to Sicily and join uh, teammates from a couple other organizations that we're going to be working with. And this isn't a short-term trip? No. No, we plan to be over there a few years. <laughs> we don't, you know, two, four, we don't know. I mean, we're However just, the Lord wants you, know, you there, exactly, right? Yeah. So you're selling things, getting things in order, and and I imagine on the household front, Kate, you want to talk about kind of the family dynamic and just give us a picture, which will give us some insight on how we can be praying and supporting you. Just family transitions ahead for the boys and the conversation with a seven and five-year-old with this, that had to be quite a dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so tons of details have to happen. Um, just pray that I think Paul and I would stay on the same page and... <laughs> We're That's never an other. issue in marriages. That's never an issue, especially for missionary marriages. There's been, yeah. Especially when there's kids asking 50 million questions when you're trying to pack a box. So, yeah. So just that we would stay together in this. Um, and I think just for our teammates that we're going to be serving with, they're from all different ministries. And uh, there's five families total. We're one of the five. So just for... Um, Unity, mm -hmm. good communication when conflict happens, just to dive in and not be afraid of it. And That's good. And Paul, you want to give us some insight just on how we can be praying for the ministry sure. that you guys will be kind of launching? I know you're going to be hosting teams yeah. through the year, involved in some other things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so our, our role is basically we're going to be doing evangelism and discipleship with these migrants. Uh, and we're also going to be working with short-term teams because they're an integral part of, uh, of part of what we want to do. Teams coming over, making contacts, and then the long-term missionaries can follow up. So we're going to be working with teams before they come over and when they're on the ground. And so as far as how we, you can be praying, I mean, it, it is the vision of the ministry to, to, to see what's called a discipleship-making movement happen, mm -hmm. which the, we want to see these men and women, one to Christ, and discipled, but discipled in such a way that wherever they go, because most of them probably aren't going to stay there in Sicily if they go back to North Africa or other mm. places in Europe, that they can easily reproduce themselves. Mm. And so that's what we're hoping to see, is that we want to see a movement of these migrants to Christ, and then they can reproduce themselves wherever they go. Because they're going to be, again, if they go back home, they're going places that, that we can't go to, right. but they're representing Jesus going back. So you're going to get on a plane what's today? October 7th. October 7th, and you're going to fly there, and there's apartment-type setup. You found something or are going to find something? Or are you going to live in tents? What are you guys going to do? <laughs> apartment? Yeah, we've got temporary housing for about a month, okay. an apartment, and then we'll have to find an apartment over there. Mm -hmm. All right. So, yeah, I mean, to be really honest, Eric, I mean, it's um, uh, 
there's just a lot to do. I mean, we get on the ground and we've got to get a car and we phones. We can't imagine, and right? Just, what it would be like to I mean, if I think about it too much, I start to get very overwhelmed, but we just take it one day at a time. We want you guys to know we love you, we're with you, and you've got several hundred people, right? Are we with them, gang, supporting them? Just want to say thank you for saying yes to Jesus. This is what happens when you get your life linked up with Jesus, by the way. This shouldn't be an exception to the norm, though we view this as an exception at times, but this is kind of normal Christian life. You get linked up with Jesus. Jesus is really passionate about the movement of peoples around the globe, and so he's like, hey, Paul and Kate, I've got something for you to do. And how inspiring is it that these two, along with their boys, have just surrendered and said, you know what, Jesus, whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, we're all in. They said yes to Jesus a long time ago in this leading, so if you get some time to talk with them in greater detail, they've got great stories about the ways God has directed their steps in their 11 years of marriage together and how God's guided them, and this is what happens, right, when we get linked up with him. So thank you for saying yes. We're with you. We're supporting you. We're going to pray for you. We're all in. You're a part of us. Eagle Church is now going to have a, a, a tentacle of ministry from Zionsville, Indiana, all the way to Sicily, Italy. Is that right? I already think of people right now going, boy, I can't wait to go visit Paul, <laughs> Paul and Kate in some capacity there. So right after service today, I would love to see several of you. I'd love to see the multi-purpose room covered up with you guys walking in there, putting your arm around these two and giving them a high five and letting them know you're with them. So go down the multi-purpose room. They're going to have a little reception down there where they're just going to be able to help share with you ways you can get more connected. Get on their prayer support network, find out a little bit more about what they're doing. So downstairs, right across from the infant and toddler rooms is a multi-purpose room. That's where they're gonna be right after service. And then next Sunday, right, at the end of service, we're gonna do a, a commissioning prayer with these two before they head off to get on their airplane. Do we cover everything you guys wanted to cover? Anything? Let's pray together as we send these guys off next week. Jesus, thank you so much for the leading that you gave Paul and Kate years and years ago. Thank you for their surrendered, surrendered hearts that said, Lord, whatever you want us to do and wherever you want us to go, we say yes on the front end. And they never would have imagined the steps going to Sicily, Italy, but you did. And thank you that they trust in you. And so we pray that as you go before them, that you will work out the dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of logistical questions that have more questions and answers right now. Thank you that you are there and that you go before them and that that is enough and that you will provide, and we pray a blessing, Lord, over their marriage, over the boys, and all the changes in their young hearts and minds. I just think of what you're gonna do in young Ben and Joe in their, in their formative years, and just how you're gonna give them a vision, Lord, of what it means to have life linked up with Jesus. Thank you that at a young age, they get a picture of what it means to say yes to the Lord. So bless the Kellers. I pray that they'd have a tremendous sense today of the body of Christ here with them in this journey in Jesus' name. Amen. How about one more round of applause for the Kellers? Thank you, brother. Good to see you. All right, open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Appropriately so, we started a series last week called Journeying Together. Because although a relationship with God was always intended to be personal, it was never supposed to be private. A relationship with God is always a personal deal. It's very personal, your faith and your walk with God. Absolutely personal. But to have a flourishing spiritual life, it was never intended to be private. Jesus always intended this to be an us, we, together thing. 
So if you're trying to carry out a walk with God as a solo operation and go maverick on the story, you're eventually going to hit a cap in your walk with God. You can only go so far by yourself. It doesn't mean there aren't aspects of it that are by yourself. I'm talking about the us, we together, the journeying together. And so we're on the Emmaus Road in Luke 24. And last week we talked about two realities of what it means to be together. And the first thing we talked about last week from the Emmaus Road story was we're going to be together in liminal space. We're going to intentionally choose to journey with each other in the space in between. You remember that word liminal from last week? That word means when you've released what is and you've yet to grasp what will be. I want you to think of it as the trapeze artist who relinquishes the bar here and hasn't quite got the bar there. You with me? And all of us, when we watch that, go, that's liminal space. And we talked about last week how that space, God really enjoys leading us there. Though we don't enjoy the experience of liminal space, he knows it's really fruitful and ripe to drive the roots of faith down deep. So the more we can embrace the space between the now and the not yet, the better this relationship with the Lord's going to go. Because if you're not in liminal space right now, just keep living and you will be with him. It's usually induced by some crisis where he causes you to loosen the grip and let go of the bar and the other bar hasn't appeared yet that you're going to grab a hold of and you're going to live in that suspended space. And that's where the two disciples on the Emmaus Road are. And we need a point of together in the body to be together. We have to kind of have the relationships in our life who will walk with us in that space. And then the second thing we talked about was Cleopas and this unnamed disciple were discussing all that had happened with each other and who joined them on the way. Do you remember? Jesus joined them on the way. And we talked about this reality of what it means to be together as the body of Christ. That our life together in Jesus, our relationships with each other, were never supposed to be the end goal. We can't make connecting together the end goal of the spiritual life. It's a means to a greater end. Are you tracking with me? Our relationships with each other are a means to help us pay attention to Jesus and to seek God to figure out that Jesus has joined us on the journey and we get to recognize that and we need each other to recognize that. So the each other part of this Christian life is absolutely essential, but it's not the end goal. The end goal is to know Christ, to love him, to serve him, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, the loving the Lord. So I ask this question that we're gonna walk around for this whole month. Do I have the kind of relationships in my life that help me seek God? That's a really important question for the soul. Who are the people in your life that you are invested in and journeying the the, the walk between the now and the not yet who help you pay attention to Jesus that he's joined you on the way, who help you seek God? And when that becomes the end point, community is sustainable. If you make community the endpoint, that's not sustainable. Doing life together is not a sustainable vision for our together. Seeking Jesus and knowing him, that's the sustainable vision. And then you journey together with that end in mind. Are you tracking with me? So those are the two principles we talked about last week, and we're going to add a couple more this week out of Luke 24. So you remember the context to the story before I read the verses. Jesus has just been crucified 
buried and raised to life. The ladies ran to the tomb. The angels were there. The stone had been rolled away, and they reported that Jesus is no longer there. He's exited the tomb. The ladies run back to the disciples and say, hey, guess what? Jesus isn't there. I mean, they're so wound up. They're so excited. They can hardly finish their sentences. And the guys are like, ladies, we think you're way off the reservation. We're not sure what's coming out of your mouths there. They can't process all that those ladies were saying, except for Peter runs to the tomb and with his own eyes sees Jesus is no longer there. Well, two of the disciples, Cleopas and one will never know their name, and I suspect the reason we'll never know their name is maybe God wanted us to insert our own story right there. Maybe God wants us to see that we're the one walking with Cleopas between the now and the not yet. So Cleopas and this other disciple are walking along. They're headed back to Emmaus, the seven-mile journey. Why are they going back there? It's their hometown. They put all their eggs in Jesus' basket. So this is the most traumatic weekend of their lives they've just experienced. The emotional state that Cleopas and this other disciple are in, along with the rest of the disciples, their world's been rocked. Everything they'd hoped and dreamed had been shattered. They've let go of some things, and they haven't grasped a hold of what's next. And that's where we pick up the story. So look at verse 15 and following here. We're going to pick up back actually 13 and following. We'll reset how they got to this point. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened and what had happened. Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had been buried. And now they're adding a little more to the story. Some ladies are babbling about Jesus being raised. They're talking about all this stuff. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. Verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, what do you think that's all about? Isn't that an interesting phrase in there? How is it that they're kept? I'm guessing the way God just worked with this situation, that he did something with Jesus' physical appearance in his resurrected state, that they were purposefully kept from recognizing that it was the resurrected Christ. They obviously knew him well, but later in the story, we're going to see Next week and the week ahead, we're going to see that their eyes are opened and they do recognize him. So it's just a space in between here when they're kept from recognizing him. I suspect, my two cents on this is, I think Jesus is trying to prepare them for the kind of relationship that they're going to have with him when he exits. Because you know what they're, the way they're going to commune with Jesus when he exits back to glory? It's going to be a mediated presence by the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be more of an invisible. They're not going to be able to see him, but he's going to be with them. Are you following me here? And I think he's kind of preparing them. I think he's kind of bringing them along to say, hey, you know what? This is the way you're going to walk with me and talk with me and relate with me in a way that's hard for you to grasp right now. And he kind of brings them along in that. So I think it's a little training ground for the way we relate to God through the presence of the Holy Spirit today. So they're kept from recognizing him. And I love this part of the story. Verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Oh, I said, Jesus, he's so great. There's no one like Jesus. He's like, he's playing dumb with them. Hey, so what are you talking about? Does he know what in the world they're talking about? Of course he does. Anytime Jesus asks a question, it's never for his own benefit. It's always for the benefit of the ones being asked, by the way, anywhere in Scripture. So anytime God positions a question to you, we ought to sit up in our seat a little bit because it's never for his benefit. It's always for ours, because there's something about a question, right, that's going to draw some things out of them. 
They can't put words to what's going on here. So he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And you've been in that space in your life. When you're in liminal space, here's what's difficult. It's difficult for you to describe all that's unraveling in here and around you. That's when you know you're in the, I let go of something here, and I haven't got a hold of something here, and I, I don't even know how to talk to you about that. That's where these guys are. They don't even know how to put words, but thankfully they've got one another to talk about what's going on. And Jesus said, hey, what, what kind of things are you talking about? Look, they stood still, their faces downcast. I tell you about their emotional state. They're downcast. Hopes and dreams shattered. Their new normal is something they never would have written. What are we gonna do now? Where are we gonna go? Way more questions than answers. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? Can you hear the tone of condescension? You know, like you hear, I'm sure you maybe have heard this occasionally in your own household at times as a family unit, or perhaps one member of the family saying to another member of the family, like, you clear, how can you be so clueless on this? It's kind of the tone I think is being used here. And what does Jesus say, verse 19? What things, he asked. Isn't that amazing with Jesus? He's just kind of playing along with them and drawing out of them. So here's the first principle or the third one from our story today, first one for today. We resist the temptation to rush in and fill the emptiness with words. This is what together means. So instead of Jesus rushing in and just kind of filling in the gaps for them, what does he do? He invites them, follow me now, to be with what is. Do you have the kind of people in your life who can sit with you and walk with you in that space in between and just be with what is and not have to fix it and give a chapter and verse and a three-point outline answer for everything? We're not great at this as a Christian community in general. In general, as Christians, we struggle walking alongside someone and this seven-mile seven mile journey between the now and the not yet. Why? Well, there, I think there's a lot of reasons here. But we struggle with this. Let's be honest now. We, we struggle with just kind of being with what is when what is is unraveling. And I think some of what we struggle with is when we genuinely love and care for the person we're with, we don't like to see them in pain, so we want to help them out of their pain. That's a good thing. But using phrases like, well, well, when I went through that, this is what really helped me. You know, that's not super helpful to someone when they're in the middle of their pain. You know, I put some others in my notes, kind of phrases either that I've used or I've heard others use. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. But we say it all the time. You don't know exactly how they feel. I'm sure God has a plan. Oh, that's super helpful. What's that all about? You're in your broken mess. You can't see beyond the next hour, and you got someone beside I know God has a plan. I know exactly how you feel. Well, here's what really helped me when I lost my job or when my spouse left or when my parent died. Those things are, I think it's an attempt to try to ease the pain of the moment. It's not very helpful. And Jesus is modeling something here. He's just coming alongside, and he's helping them be with what is. Just Modeling how to just be present with them. Like Job, you know, Job's story is an amazing story with this. If you need to read a storyline for how not to be a friend to someone going through a hard time, read Job. 
Job's so long of a story to read. And you know one of the reasons I think God did that? He's like, hey, Simpson, that's what you Christians are like with each other sometimes. You're just like all together in all this brokenness, and all you've got is paragraph after paragraph of unhelpful words. That's what Job's friends were. Job's friends were offering him a three-point outline and a chapter and verse for everything he was going through. And he didn't want that. What did he want? Job wanted someone, hear this, to sit with him in the great unfixables of his life. That's community. You got someone who will sit with you in the great unfixables of your life? That's what Job wanted. And eventually one young man kind of comes along and clarifies the scene in the story. But there's a lot of chapters of just words and answers. And so sometimes we struggle with our fix-it language because... You know, we just want to ease the pain. Other times we struggle with wanting to jump in and fix it because we got a little Messiah complex and we want to be the one that kind of helps turn them around. That's not a good thing. There's a bunch of shadow stuff involved there. That's not going anywhere good. Or, or sometimes we just struggle letting someone be with what is in their own life because we're so self-focused. We can't let someone else's experience be their own experience. We always got to make it about us. That's not helpful. And you, some of you who've been journeying through some really tough stuff, you know there's some people in your life who come alongside you and they make even your brokenness about them. That's not helpful. The one person on the Emmaus Road who could make the story about him is who? Jesus. When I ask a question from the stage like that, you know, 75% of the time you can just say Jesus. <laughs> and you're going to get it right. Like the one person on the Emmaus Road. Who could actually make the story about him was who? Jesus. Who knows what happened in Jerusalem? Uh, let's see. Jesus. Who's the one who endured what happened in Jerusalem? Uh, Jesus. What things? Uh, Jesus might have some things to say about that. The one person who could turn and make the story about him, he's not doing that. Gang, I want to be a lot more like that. And I'd like us to be a lot more like that with each other. Can we just agree together? Let's let each other be with what is in the journey between the now and the not yet and let their own great unfixables be their own stuff and don't make it about you in an attempt to be helpful. Do follow what Jesus modeling. Ask the right question at just the right time and then just listen, listen attentively. And I suspect maybe one of the reasons we also struggle with doing this, do you know if we're not very good by ourselves kind of sitting with our own great unfixables before the Lord? I want you to see the link now between silence and solitude and community here. We've got to cultivate an ability to be with God alone no matter what we're going through in our life so that we have a capacity to be with others no matter what they're going through. Are you tracking with me? If you're not able to journey through your great unfixables in some sense of communion with God, then do you know why you're gonna struggle allowing and sitting beside someone else through their own great unfixables? Because you can't even handle your own. So when you're sitting with someone who's unraveling some stuff, yeah, and you wanna be a good companion, you wanna be a spiritual friend to them, do you know one of the greatest gifts you can give? You bring your own personal companionship with Jesus into that relationship. Remember, it's about seeking him. That's what this community is about. It's about knowing him. And so we got to bring that into the relationship. But if we're struggling with sitting with our own great unfixables, well, we're going to have a really difficult time sitting with others 
We're going to try to fix all the unfixables. We're going to give a chapter and verse and a three-point outline and make it all about the wrong things. And you know you've hit these kinds of places on the Emmaus Road. When you're like Psalm 5, Psalm 5 is a great psalm. It's kind of an Emmaus Road praying psalm. When the psalmist says, O Lord, consider my sighing. That's when you know you're in the middle of an Emmaus Road walk. When all you can pray is sighs. Psalm 5. And when you're there, you need some people in your life who are going to journey with you right there. Who are going to sigh with you and put their arm around you and pray with you and cry with you and be with what is without relating it back to you, without trying to fix everything, and not rushing into the emptiness and filling it with a whole bunch of words. I think this is a really important part of what it means to be a healthy community, a togetherness with one another. And then I put the second point on your notes here that I wrote for today is I think there's another principle that comes out of this, and that's that we learn the art of prayerful listening. You know, what prayerful listening is, is there's, there's Jesus on this road, and he's asking them these questions, and his ability to ask just the right question places him in the posture of the listener. Do you know one of the best ways we can learn to become better listeners is we can become more thoughtful question askers. Don't you appreciate the kind of friends you have in your life who ask a very thoughtful and well-placed question and then are patient enough to listen to you maybe even meander your way through a response, that's a very good friend to have on the Emmaus Road journey. Who asks the right question? Who's able to be present to God and present to you? That's prayerful listening. Do you have those kind of people in your life who are able to be present to God and present to you at the same time? That's a, that's a spiritual friend. That's Christian community. Listen on your notes here to how Ruth Haley Barton put it in her book. She said, we are listening for what God's desire or guidance for that person might be, not what our best advice might be or how we can be most helpful. Furthermore, we're willing to be made aware of what is going on within ourselves so that our own, so that our own inner urges to fix or problem solve or alleviate discomfort don't get in the way of what God wants to do in the moment. That's really important stuff. And so I put some things in your notes, just helpful questions I found through the years that others have used with me when I've been in tough places or that I've attempted to apply to others to be helpful is questions like, what was that like for you? How did you experience God or not in the midst of that? What are some of the themes that you've been coming up as you've prayed about this? That's a great question. Ask someone, hey, what's been coming up as, as you've been praying about this? And then just listening. And what questions does all this raise for you? And you're just listening. You're just trying to be a prayerful listener. You're trying to be present to God and present to them. You're trying to be with what is. You're not trying to fix. You're not trying to rush in with words. You're trying to understand. That's where Jesus is at in this dialogue. You're like, well, Eric, at some point, isn't there some guidance coming? Yeah, we're going to get to that stuff. Next week, Jesus is going to insert some guidance. But notice what he does first. He's trying to get them to come to grips with some stuff that's going on in their life. And when things are unraveling, he knows this. There's a patient prayerful listening posture before rushing in with all the answers and the guidance and the direction. And if Jesus thought that, I mean, if 
come on now. If you'd want anyone to rush in and give guidance right now, you'd want Jesus on the Emmaus Road. Like Cleopas would be like, hey, Jesus, anytime you want to insert some guidance here, I'd welcome it. Wouldn't you? And, you know, we're trying to do our best to imitate Jesus in this, but we're not as good as he is at giving advice. And he's patient, and he's prayerful, and he's waiting, and he's asking questions, and he's not rushing in with words, and he's allowing them to come to grips with what's going on in here and how they're understanding what's out there. I think we all need a good, healthy dose of that and what it means to be together in Christian community with each other. So lastly, before I give you the kind of the assignment for the week is, I want you to see the interconnectedness here between our formation and friendship. Because in order for us to try to be the kind of friends with one another who pay attention to God while we're with each other, do you realize what we have to bring to that encounter? We have to bring a lifestyle of paying attention to God and listening to Jesus. So our formation is key to friendship. You can't separate formation and friendship. One fuels the other. You bring your personal walk with God, your, your kind of the dailiness of your desire to listen to him and obey him and follow him. You bring that into a friendship with another person where you're attempting to simultaneously pay attention to God as you pay attention to them. It's like I put in your quote, uh, note there, the quote from Julian of Norwich. I look at God, I look at you, and then I look at God again. That's that. I'm, I'm with you, but I'm with God, and I'm with you as spiritual friendship. And the only way that kind of relationship takes place when there's formation and friendship together. So hence the assignment for the week. So here's how we're going to try to put this into practice this week. I put in your notes that this will take you about 15 minutes. So carve out 15 minutes sometime this week and walk through these steps. Start with a couple minutes of silence. And just kind of take some deep breaths in that silence and settle into it. Read through John 10, 14 to 18. Read through it twice. Read through it slowly. Just kind of let the words sink in. And you just have to, it might, if you can kneel, kneeling would be good. Kind of kneeling in silence is good. Kneeling and reading through John 10 would be good. And then reflect on some questions like this. Do I have the kinds of relationships in my life that help me seek God? If not, what's holding me back from pursuing those? Am I looking for human relationships to be for me what only Christ can be? Do you know that's what happens when we put so much pressure on our connectivity to others that we're actually asking them to be something for us that Jesus never intended for them to be? They can only be your spiritual friend. They can only be your spouse. They can only be your brother and sister in Christ. They cannot be your Messiah. They're a means to a greater end. We gotta sift through that. We gotta invite the Lord into that and say, hey, what's, Lord, what's up with this? kind of maybe an unhealthy desire, a pursuit to be so connected that things unravel when I'm not. What's underneath that? I think we need some time with the Lord on that. And where do I hear the voice of the good shepherd speaking to me in all of this? So read, so sit in silence, read through John 10, reflect on some questions like that, and then just spend some time praying. Praying is just responding back to God. Just pray about whatever surfaces in that time and then close with a couple more minutes of silence. Can we do that? Sometime between now and next Sunday, I'd love for all of us to have that kind of experience because you're going to bring your formation into the friendship. Because the question isn't whether we're going to be on the Emmaus Road journey. That is not the question. The question is, when we're on that Emmaus Road journey, are we going to be trying to walk it alone? By his grace, let's not be that way. Are we going to have the kind of people in our life who are going to help us see that Jesus has joined us on that journey 
and we'll do it together. Let's pray. Father, I think of all the times in our lives when you have so graciously and patiently joined us in our own journey, how you've revealed that through a sacred friendship, someone who just came alongside, who had a cup of coffee or sent the the right text or had the right phone call, the just the right conversation at just the right time. Thank you for the gift you've given us in one another in this body. Thank you for the call to not go this alone. Thank you for the reminder it's always been an us, we together thing. And so for so many here who are right in the middle of their own seven mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus, would you help us be the kind of community together that is able to be patient and prayerful to listen and be with what is. And help us bring our best transforming self into those interactions. And for those here in this place of maybe lonelier in their life than they've ever been, Lord, we just invite you into that space of loneliness. And we ask you to come and speak and minister Open up eyes to see what's in all of that. And then you insert just the right relationship at just the right time in just the right way. And we will trust you for it in Jesus' name.